Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Ooh, today's going to be a really interesting episode. My friends, my homie, my girl's here to tell us a little bit about her journey with divorce um, and her relationship before we got to this point. Uh, her name is Josefina. I met her in New York City, where she's from. Uh, we used to work together in the same office, so um, I got to know her then. But just a little bit about Josefina. She is one, a wonderful human being, but she's into uh, some strength training. She loves to spend time with her siblings and her close friends, loves to spend time in nature. She loves to travel and attend cultural and musical events. And just overall, she's a great friend. If anyone wants to hire Josefina, she's also a great employee. <laughs> I can vouch for that. Anyone ever needs a reference from her, you know, I got you, girl. But yeah, super excited for this week's conversation. And you know what? I'm going to throw it to you, Josefina. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm feeling pretty great this morning. Uh, I'm visiting my family in New York, so I'm looking to get re-energized through them. But generally... As I know on this podcast, I could be honest during my check-in, feeling super burned out, juggling work, uh, job search process, finding a new apartment, maybe a new roommate, um, you know, working out, traveling on the weekends, visiting family, friends, my new boyfriend. And, you know, on paper, this all sounds really positive, right? Um, but the reality of that day to day, it's just absolutely exhausting. The other night, my mom was telling me that I'm burning the candle on both ends. Damn it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't we hate it when parents are right? As you get older, I feel like you start to realize that more and more. Like, oh, shit. Yeah, well, thank you for checking in. Sasha, how are you doing? So, first of all, Josefina, thank you so much for giving me permission to talk about what I've been feeling. So, long story short, I just came back from a, a vacation. And that was stressful in and of itself because the airlines and the system we live in is super abusive and it was just a crazy mess. And then I got like a UTI during it and it, it just wasn't what I expected. But then there's this guilt, right? Like I should be relaxed. I should feel good. And I don't want to tell anybody that I'm like fucking tired. And, you know, like, and just like you, like I have all these really good things going on and I don't want to sound ungrateful or like I'm just playing the the victim, right? But I'm really, really tired. Like, I just want some time to myself. And it's like, yo, you just had some time to yourself. But I'm like, no, it's different. It's different. It, And it's like, I think that we live in this world where, oh, because you had a vacation, you should feel better. And you just kind of like hide away. So thank you so much for giving me permission. Because I wasn't going to say that, to be quite honest. Because there was like shame around it. How about you, Boo? How you doing? So I'm excited to have Josefina. And thank you again for coming on but to be quite honest I had a really 
I've I've had Fridays off from my job, which has been great, but I also have therapy on Fridays. <laughs> so between like trying to catch up, like in terms of my energy and stuff like that, and still feeling really low on Fridays, and then I had just like a really intense uh, session. It was good in terms of um, the content that was discussed, and it was good for me to have like a breakthrough or at least start to have a breakthrough through in regards to a topic that I'm having a really hard time with which is forgiveness so that was good but I will say I think it just put me in a really sad and difficult place because I'm still struggling with it and then I was watching tv this morning which I need to stop doing that to myself because I do it to myself almost every morning before we record and we were talking about like spirits and like death and grieving and it just I think like I just was not in a good place to kind of like watch these really heavy things um so I will say I feel like I'm I I had to put on a little meditation music to kind of get myself centered again but if I'm being honest like all of that is just bubbling under the surface so we'll see how that kind of like makes its way to the surface and bubbles up. But with that said, I do want to get started and actually just jump right into this week's episode. So Josefina, obviously I know you personally, and I know that you were in a relationship for 10 years. You were married for just over a year and a half before your divorce was like officially uh, finalized. So can you give us like a brief overview of the relationship like how'd you meet what was your ex-husband like like you know just the overall trajectory of of this relationship sure so uh we met the summer before my senior year of college we were both orientation leaders and uh you know my my one of my best friends at the time and i you know we made up names for all the guys that we thought were were hot basically um and he was one of them we decided to name him lady gaga um because he was always like putting on a show um like he was the class clown right hello red flag number one so (laughs) (laughs) so when we first met you know he was fun um he was outgoing he was funny very playful guy um and he was friendly with everybody and you know most importantly at the time for me he supported all of my likes and my interests. So, you know, he was posing for like vagina monologue photos, you know, when I was running Women's Collective, you know, any kind of like feminist photo shoot we were having, like he was down to, you know, be a part of, you know, collaborating with like the LGBTQ group, you know, he would show up at events or if I sang at a multicultural event, like he would come and support me. What I kind of experienced was kind of this kind of slow trajectory of him being sort of one person for the first few years and then he slowly kind of molded into this other person kind of permanently moving forward so it wasn't as if something abruptly happened it was kind of this this very kind of slow process and you know let me kind of also preface this by saying that you know i was always very involved on campus and i spent a lot of my time like at the multicultural affairs house i was always running a meeting attending meetings organizing an event and this kind of busyness that I kept myself in, I think now reflecting back was part of the reason why I never really laser focused on him and who he really was. Cause I was always wrapped up in my own activities. 
So like in that fall semester, I was like taking five classes, doing all the activities, going out with friends, et cetera. And, you know, we would go out together. But at that point, he wasn't causing any kind of problems for me. He was kind of like along for the ride, so to speak. Um, And at that point, there weren't any kind of issues with my family because I was at school. So no one like really knew him. Then the spring semester came along and he studied abroad in Ecuador and Peru. So we wound up deciding to have a long distance relationship. You know, I had a blast my last semester on campus. But I remember so many of our online video conversations were like him complaining. And his circumstances always seemed so like dire. Um, Like he was always like the victim. And that was sort of, I suppose, where like the red flags really started for me. But the thing was, what should have been a red flag, I converted into feeling really bad for him. Like this, and this was where my empathy, my deep empathy that I have really started to be taken advantage of. So after the semester, when he came back, I was graduating. So, you know, we were excited that he was back. Um, You know, I was excited to have graduated. I wound up staying on campus over the summer to work with the dean's office. I had to update their acquaintance rape and awareness materials because they were like from the 80s. But we spent the summer living together. And then I went to work in the Bronx city year. And I lived in my parents' basement, basically, in Brooklyn during that time. And he was finishing up his last semester in college. So it's fair to say that the very beginning of our relationship was very much that long distance. So to make a, like a long story short, you know, he finished his senior year at college. I did city year. Then I applied to become a teacher. And I got into a residency program on the south side of Chicago. So then we moved to Chicago together. And... <sighs> What, what, what it seems like is the beginning of our relationship was long distance. Then we kind of played house over the summer. Then moved in together when I started my master's and I started working, you know, in this like really intense job. And then my mental health started to suffer really for the first time in my entire life. I didn't grow up with anxiety or depression. It all started once I um, was working in Chicago at the time. Um, so then we had moved back to New York to be closer to my family. And that was sort of where our relationship really started to like go downhill. Because again, I was just always, as I talked about that busyness of me in college, that same busyness continued once I was in my career, because basically my career was my life. Um, So it became everything. I guess all in all, it was a way for him to sort of fly under the radar because my, what was going on with my career was always so much more pressing and like the priority and what I kind of dove into as opposed to really focusing on like he and I and what was going on with us and the issues that we had. My career always, always, I guess, trumped that. Thank you so much for your detail. You were ready. I appreciate that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You just gave me like a very sexy wink, by the way. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, I am going to probe a little bit. It's interesting to me because I hear your story and I understand it. And, and you know, there's personal stuff coming up, too. So I think um, not just as a therapist, but also as a, a woman who has experienced something similar with regards to like, you know, flat, like allowing certain things or, or like letting the red flags kind of just pass us by. I always think back um, and I tell and like I wonder to myself, like, what where was I? in my life, in, in, with my mental health, and and you, you spoke a little bit to it, but more so like, where's my responsibility in this? Right. Because I think that, 
you were talking about having jobs and always having work be your priority or school be your priority. And you said something interesting. You said that you didn't have anxiety until Chicago. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna just say that you probably did have anxiety. It was just covered up from all the busy work you were doing, right? Mm-hmm. And and you don't notice it until you have to interact with other people. And now you have this other person who's so drastically different from you. And this it, it's not fitting into that way that you manage your anxiety as well. Um, what do you think were the things that you didn't know about yourself back then that you feel you know about yourself now with regards to how you got into that relationship, right? And not, and not in a way to like put blame on you because I, I did that and that's why I'm, I'm, I just want to put that out there. I'm not trying to judge because I, I think I, I naturally judge myself a lot because we didn't know back then, right? These are things that we learn now, but what were the things that you didn't know about yourself that caused you to be in that position? I think what I didn't know about myself was that I was unintentionally not putting myself first. You know, that's not on someone else to do for me. That was something that I know we're probably, I know we're going to be tapping into childhood. Um, It's not something that I grew up with seeing. Instead of me putting like a physical person ahead of myself, I took my career and I made mm. that, I guess, the the placeholder. My mental health didn't matter. What I needed didn't matter. What I wanted didn't matter. I had to be there for my students. I had to be there for my coworkers. Each of my roles, I truly felt that I was probably one of the only consistencies in many of my students' life. And I would hold on to that and walk around with that every day. In a way, I didn't mind having that responsibility. I almost wanted that. I enjoyed that. Um, but what it did was it 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 kind of tore me down because I wasn't taking care of myself. It's funny that in my mind, I thought, oh, well, I'm learning from my parents and I'm putting my career first and blah, 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 blah. Mm. But I did so in a really unhealthy way. Um, And I completely did not understand how to take care of myself or what that even could look like, what that meant. So you mentioned um, your parents and them putting their career first. Can you talk, I guess, a little bit about like your earlier life? Like, what was it like growing up with Mm -hmm. them? Sasha and I always talk about being first gen and you want to get your career going and you want to make sure that you have a better life than the one that you grew up with. What were your earlier life experiences that kind of like even propelled you to a place where you put your career first? I'm I'm not first generation here in the States, but I'm a first generation college student. I am a second generation in the States. For me growing up, you know, my mother was pretty old school in the sense of she didn't exist. Mm. Um, She was us. She was my father. When we were at holiday events, you know, we would make my dad's plate, dinner plate for him. Um, And I never felt that I was being a servant or anything like that. It was like I wanted to do it. I wanted to do that for him. Um, All these like sort of little things where it was about everyone else around you and not about you. Throw in the fact that 
my dad, so my dad has been sober for two years, which means for my entire life, um, he, you know, he was an alcoholic. And what that meant for my family was that we would always have to put on a smile for everybody, whether or not they knew what was going on. And there was always this performance that we would play. And when you saw us and you maybe took a, you know, saw a picture of us, we would always get compliments on, oh my goodness, your kids are so well behaved and they're so respectful and they're this and they're that. And that was what people saw, but that wasn't necessarily, you know, all of that sort of like happy-go-lucky was not what happened behind closed doors. What I experienced growing up was essentially my father sort of, I, I suppose, now that I think really back on it, you know, he, he always made my mom kind of, I think, feel inferior, feel stupid. You know, she never, it was never like she would say something and he would be like, yes, or like support her or agree with her. It was always like this undermining always. But my dad was like, funny to say, he was a class clown as well. He's always the joker. He's the life of the party. He's the entertainer, but at my mother's expense. We had this strong sense of family that it was like, these are your sisters and brothers. This is your mother and your father. It doesn't matter what they do, their blood. This is what it is. But it didn't mean that we were in healthy relationships with each other. The reason why my siblings and I are so close is because I spent a lot of my childhood bringing them into other rooms, hiding them from my parents when they were fighting, um, being the protector. Um, essentially being a, becoming a parent at a really young age. And because of that, my mom took the brunt of not just the verbal abuse, but physical abuse as well. So, as, so my childhood, I suppose, was confusing because I was being thrown, you know, family, 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 family. But how are you, but my, for, for my parents, it's like, well, what, but why are you behaving in this way? Is this really what family is? We're just supposed to take it. We're just supposed to sweep it under the rug. We're just supposed to hop back on the merry-go-round and act like, you know, you didn't do such and such to mom the other day and just sit at the table and pretend like it didn't happen. Um, and that and that was actually um, the breaking point of why my dad became sober. It was, I remember it was Mother's Day and I had planned all of us to go into Central Park. There was like this, uh, uh, this event where you can pay money to just, you'd be given a canvas and paint and you could paint. My mom used to paint. That's another thing, right? She never did anything. I never, she was an artist, but I didn't know she was an artist. I never saw her do anything. I have a hobby. Like the night before we went, um, my dad had an episode with my mom and, you know, my mom wound up like on the floor and, and I basically went there and I said, we're not going. I'm not taking us there. We need to find a place for you to go because I'm not doing this anymore. And my mom was pissed. My mom was like, you're going to do this on Mother's Day to me, ba-ba-ba. And I'm like, Mom, I don't want to have another Mother's Day like this. Like, this is ridiculous. This is what we do. We come together for events, like la-di-da, but everything is, it's broken. Again, that merry-go-round is really that metaphor that I really uh, relate to. My sister and I found him an outpatient service down in Texas, and that was really what changed, what has changed our lives in a lot of ways. My childhood, I guess, if I had to like wrap it up, was essentially being told to act and behave and do in, in one way, but not doing it in a genuine, 
healthy manner. Uh, speaking of our past and what we don't know, what do you think it was that actually caused you to lose yourself in that relationship, right? Because after hearing about your past, like I, I can't help but to make diff- like parallels and wonder, like, do you feel that is what influenced your experience? I don't want to blame it completely on my parents, but at the same time, what what I did know in terms of growing up was that um, you could take people on as projects. You can help, quote unquote, fix them. For me, that was the piece that I feel really got taken advantage of was that whenever something came up for him or was a challenge for him, it was always like, oh, I have, I have really bad social anxiety. Um, or, oh, I have, you know, I'm feeling really depressed and such and such. So for me, it was like, oh, like, I want to help you. Like, let's try this. Let's try this. And breaking apart from him was, didn't seem like even an option. And perhaps I could see how that stemmed from the many times that I would be in the car with my mom and we would go and find my dad wherever he parked, whatever bar he went to. And my mom tell me I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And she never did. So I would just hear that same story over and over again. So for me, I think leaving him was never an option. It was always, okay, well, well how can we fix it? What, what, what can we do to work on it? And on top of that, me being a person who, like I, I work with students with disabilities, right? I work with students that have these diagnosed disorders. And I feel like he really played that part because he's tugging at my heartstrings. Like if you come to me and you're saying that you have these issues and these problems, the last thing I'm going to do is say bye. You know, I'm going to want to work them out. I'm going to want to talk it out, you know, and, and I think between seeing that growing up where it's like, you don't give, you don't quote unquote give up, even if it's literally has broken you. And then adding on this piece, like even because we know how our professional lives blend with our personal lives, me feeling like, oh, well, I, I can make him better. I can get him to the place. I can, I'll give him my family. You don't have a family? Well, I have a family. I can show you what family's like. This is what a holiday can look like. So it was always a situation where I thought I could work on things with him. When really at the end of the day, I learned, and this was at the very end of my relationship, got a little lost on Quora and read it and learned that he was a narcissist. Um, learned that it really, all of this anxiety, right, was it, what it was, was, you know, if I, I don't want to diagnose, but it felt like there was a substance abuse when it came to marijuana. Um, and that's how he coped with everything. And then I got roped into that as well he turned it into something where we couldn't leave the house without getting completely just. And and so in my mind, it was how I had a functional alcoholic of a father. I wound up having like a functional, essentially like marijuana user. Yeah. A little parallel there that I didn't really make that connection before. Um, Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) dynamic duo doing it once again (laughs) so 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 yes i it's it's so interesting to see how 
I wanted so badly to kind of recreate and move away from these cycles of my childhood when really they just manifested in other ways. Yeah. So I actually was going to mention it when you were speaking about your early life, that there's actually a lot of parallels. Like literally like a lot of your adult life is almost like a recreation of a lot of the things that you knew or did in your early life. And again, like similar to Sasha, it's it's not a blaming. I think it's like we do what we know and what feels most comfortable or what feels most familiar. Now that I'm hearing your story, I'm realizing that things shifted for you when your father became sober. And I'm wondering if that's ever a correlation that you kind of like made It wasn't until after your father was getting sober that one, I found out about really what was going on in your relationship. But shortly after you started moving towards a place where you were like no longer tolerant of his behaviors, because it was a good year um, of you kind of questioning the relationship, struggling with if you should stay in this relationship and then leading to the divorce. I don't know if you've ever made that connection before, because I'm just realizing I'm making that connection for the first time. No, I actually have not thought of that. And it's, it's interesting because my dad was always something that I felt he would hang over my head that, you know, that he was, he was just such this dysfunctional human being Like, I remember there was a time when he told me that he didn't even respect him. And I'll never forget that because to me, I'm like, whoa. But I know now that that was just him projecting all of his own stuff. But for me, it was like he, it it almost made him feel good to like go in on my family. When all they did was welcome him. And, and, you know, I asked him to join everything that we did and have him be a part of us and, and take him for who he was, which is, which was a very difficult human being. I might, and, and something else that I wanted to add too, um, which is, which is interesting is actually both of my parents came up to me after the divorce and they both separately kind of like took, I guess, accountability for like the role that they felt that they played in my relationship And my mom was just like, I showed you that basically that like she did that I, that she, I, she said I, but like that she didn't matter, you know, that her voice didn't matter. She was treated poorly and that that was okay. And she basically was like, I showed you that that treatment was okay. So like she understood for her, she's like, and it took, she's like, it took me a while to like wrap my head around it. But like, it made me understand more why you stayed in what you stayed in. Cause then I did the same thing she did is I was, I would put on the happy face when I would see my family because my family knew they knew that Dan was difficult and that it was rough. And that, you know, he would give me a lot of anxiety when we were here. Cause I couldn't just chill with my siblings. I would always have to worry about what he was doing, where he's at, who he's talking to, what he's talking about. Is he making, is he having an awkward conversation? Do I need to save him or something like that? Does he have to leave again to smoke again? And, um, yeah, that was a big deal for me because I was, I would never in a million years think that my parent, that my mom would come up to me and say that to me. Um, and then my dad too separately came up to me and was just like, you watch me treat your mother like shit your entire life. Um, and I know that that's why you stayed in your relationship as long as you did. It was just really kind of 
nice to hear from both my parents about that because it made me kind of reflect more on it because I would I beat myself up about it for such a long time. I'm just like, you're such an idiot. How did you, why did mm. you, you know, it, it, why didn't you leave earlier? Like you've been having these issues. Like you said, like we had issues before we even started, you know, getting married. I don't even see us as, or think of us as like a married, a married couple. I think of us as just a couple that was in a long-term relationship because that was like the tail end, mm. you know, and I, and I, and then on top of that, I caught him with the cheating nonsense eight months after we actually got married. So it's kind of like what, to me, I'm like, what marriage? Like mm. that, that wasn't a marriage to me. Um, and he only lasted the year that it did because how, of how long it takes to get divorced. <laughs> Which by the way is official. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Congrats. Congratulations. Thank um, you. Wow. You said so much. So, just really quickly, I want to go back to Crystal's point, um, which was a really good point, Boom. because we have this tendency to master our relationships, right? This is like a very Freudian thing, This is, and it has to do with attachment, so it's psychodynamic. But we want to replicate the, the attachments that we had when we were younger. Well, out of that's our normal, but also because if I get the love this way, that means I deserve to be loved. That's And so that's mm-hmm. kind of this idea of like codependency, right? You start finding love within yourself. And it goes back to what you said um, earlier about you not loving yourself through other people, mm-hmm. right? So my boyfriend's a psychologist and him and I were talking about what I experienced, right? Like why I was in that relationship, um, the past relationship. And he said something very interesting. He told me to because he sees that I'm like you, like I put a lot of blame on myself. Like, why did I do that? What, what was it about me? Right. He grew up in a house where it was just like straight up neglect. Mm. I grew up in a house similarly to you, where we were constantly being loved, but in a conditional way. So mm. that's what made us kind of go back and forth and then go above and beyond to find that love so we can feel good about ourselves. Um, mm. And I find that so interesting because what it does is it keeps you there long kind of to your your mom's point to you know no I could fix them no I can help no maybe I'm asking for too much maybe maybe I'm the crazy one right it kind of like that that initial that conditional love what it does is it 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 allows you to blur your boundaries Mm. and then you kind of get very lost right um so that's one but the second thing I wanted to say is that victimhood is and can be very manipulative. And I do want to go back to that point because I was originally going to ask, was he manipulative? Mm. But it, I'm being very honest with you, straight up manipulative, right? Even if he was a victim. So my question is, was it in your face in the beginning or did it take time to figure out the ways it showed up? And like, when was that? What was that point when you were like, holy shit, I, I'm, I have resentment because you're controlling i feel that it was never over i never saw it i never saw it as manipulation um i would view it as him being difficult honestly i only realized that it was a manipulation was literally at the tail end of the relationship again where i started to learn more about narcissism because i didn't even know what gaslighting was i didn't know and i would be reading these stories of these women who by the way also have kids so praise the universe that that's not the case for me because that is most 
usually the case. Um, I'm reading their stories. I'm getting goosebumps because I'm like, oh my God, this is the shit he does to me. Right. And I just, I, I didn't have a label for it. So I had no idea that I was being manipulated and having reflected on as much as I have at this point, it was the long game kind of manipulation. It it was like this slow removal of, I'm going to take you away from your friends. I'm going to slowly remove you away from your family. So much so I'm going to take your ass out to Michigan where there's nobody. So it gave off this impression that he was moving us, him and he and I forward, right, in our relationship, when really it was about removing me from what I knew. Because that is in a lot of ways where I would find my strength and my independence and my being. And I completely lost that with him. Um, which is what really hurt the most because when I reached back out to a handful of my friends and I would tell them about, you know, kind of what happened with the divorce. Cause you know, I, I have like, I have this post-it and I think I've told Crystal about this because Crystal's on my post-it. There's a handful of people that are really important to me that I'm going to go out of my way and do what I need to do to continue these friendships. And I felt in a lot of ways that I had to build them back up because I fell off the face of the earth and that's not me. And I became this codependent person who needed this guy when I was the opposite of that. So I truly believe that I was very, I was crafted. It was like this mastermind. He was this puppeteer that had this long-term plan. I don't know if he actually had a plan, but to me, it feels like he had a plan Um, because it couldn't be abrupt, right? It, 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 there was this long game, this long-term strategy. And he was very strategic, but it's also a weakness that I have. Um, so I really didn't see it. Um, and he did it well. I, I, I think of it as honestly like a craft. It was an art, really, um, because it wasn't overt. Um, and, and again, when he would be difficult or cause problems, it was always more about that very specific issue. It never really, to me, felt like it linked this to this larger problem, I suppose. So again, yes, I, I, I didn't have a label for these things. I didn't understand what it was. And as an educator, right, you're always looking to like categorize and label and like understand. And I didn't have any of that. So I didn't know what it was. It was just something that was happening. So that was a big part of it. So, okay. So what was the actual breaking point for the relationship? Like, when was it that you decided, okay, like, that's it, I need to leave? Because you had been enduring this for a very long time. Yes. The breaking point. Oh, gosh. The sad part is that there were there were a few. I mean, I remember moments in Michigan where I took off my ring. And would, because I knew deep down, like that this was wrong. And I would straight up say, we are not good for each other's mental health. But he would always find a way to spin it. Tell me he's, he'll fix it. He'll work on it. And then reel me right back in. Right. So although there were those kind of mini breaking points that I truly felt were real, 
I also knew that I was stuck. I knew that I couldn't leave to go back to the East Coast without his help. I get. I would say that the actual first breaking point, like the real, real one, was when I had caught him um, and found out that he was cheating. I was working with a private school, working on seminars over the summer. I wanted to borrow his iPad. So I'm bopping around on the iPad. I'm like, oh, we don't even use this. What's even on here? Click the messages. And I saw these names that I didn't recognize. And I'm like, who is this? And that was when I found out that he was um, essentially messaging and video chatting and talking with several different women, some through apps, um, some through apps where you would pay for services. Um, and that was essentially the brick wall coming down. Like I needed a whole, the wall, I needed a building to fall on me for me to be like, all right. Cause I should have already been out of the relationship. Let's just say that. But once that happened, that made things very different because not only, and it wasn't just like a little affair, like, oh, past few months, we're talking for the past five years. Okay. Which also aligns with why the last five years were so shit. Right. Mm. So I then, I could have just freaked out, showed him the iPad right away. I did not. I took my phone. My video recorded and I scrolled through every single message because I wanted to read every single word that was exchanged because I didn't want him to tell me what happened. I wanted to see what went down myself. After I spent a day or two doing that, then I told him what I found. And typical for him, he drops to his knees, he's crying. He became suicidal in that moment, right? Like literally into the kitchen, grabbing a knife, right? Not at me, but at himself. Because that's, because he knew, he knows very well that once he gets to that point, I, I, I drop, I drop my anger. I drop whatever I'm feeling. So in that moment was not when I decided that I was going to leave, which is the crazy part because, you know, you watch movies And, you know, everyone packs up their suitcase. They're out the door that day. Okay. That was not, that's not my story. For me, it was, it was weird because from that moment on, I was subconsciously preparing myself to leave him, not intentionally. And, and it's it's hard to explain. So let me give you an example. At the time I was a homeschool special education teacher for this family and I was getting paid in cash. So what I started to do was I would take very little bit of my paycheck every week. I would put it in an envelope. I would put it in the glove compartment of my car and I wouldn't tell him about it. At, in, at this time, I was, in my opinion, being financially abused because he controlled everything. And then at that time, he was feeling really depressed about his job. So I encouraged him to look for a new job, helped him with his resume, blah, blah, blah. He found a new, a new role. And then I said, well, your job here is crap now. We moved here for your quote unquote dream job. It is no longer a dream. It has officially become a nightmare. So why are we here? There's no point in us being here. So then at that moment, then we started planning to move back to the East Coast. And while we were moving, I threw out so many things that if you were planning to stay with someone, you wouldn't have thrown out. Like we went on this trip to Guadalupe and like we had all these pictures and stuff. And I just remember tossing them 
in the in a, in a garbage bag. So it and in my mind again, I wasn't thinking like, "Ooh, I'm going to save up this money and then I'm going to leave him and then I'm going to do this." It was like my subconscious was like preparing me to go even though in my mind and in my life I wasn't ready and that wasn't actually what was happening. So we finally made the move back. And what what made all of this possible was that we made a pit stop in New York and that night we 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 did a pit stop here at my at my parents and that night I pulled my mom into the bathroom and I was like, "Listen, ma, I just want to let you know, I'm really not happy in my relationship right now. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just want to let you know. And uh, I'll give you an update. I don't want to get into it right now. And it's funny. I remember my mom's face. It was almost as if I literally took a pack of elephants off of her shoulder because she always knew that it was no, it was not a good situation. So for me to actually have finally admitted that things were not good, she was almost like, oh my God, like this is it. She's coming to me. Because like my mom's the last person I was going to tell when I had issues. Because I knew once I told my family, it'd be done. We then move. A month later, we come and we visit my, my Nana. And um, my mom pulled me into the, you know, the back room. She's like, so where are we at? And I just broke down. I, I actually sobbed for like four or five hours. I, I, I was like dry heaving. I literally had a towel around my face because I was crying so badly. And I was like, I can't take this anymore. I got to go. Things are so bad. And then, and then I eventually I slipped, I told her that like he cheated on me and like all this stuff. And as I'm telling her this story, she would, she left the room after a little bit, after we talked, she threw my sister in the room. Months later, my other sister was thrown in the room. And my brother was thrown in the room before I knew it. I had four mirrors staring at me. And that was when I knew this is the point of no return. And my younger brother, who's the only brother, um, I remember him looking at me, putting his hand on my leg and saying, this is over now. It's done. What do you need us to do to help you move on? And then my mom throws my dad in. My dad sits down and he goes, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm thinking about leaving Dan. And he's like, really? I said, yeah. He goes, all right, what's the move? So literally everyone's like, you know, it's like the, the you, you know, just everyone basically like we were in a meeting, like this strategic plan meeting of like, what are we doing? What, what, what do you need us to do? And that was when I felt like I had the support that I needed to do what I needed to do. So I told my dad, I said, listen, I can't go back on Monday and tell him that I'm leaving him because I just started my new job. He's going to keep me up all hours of the night until he hears what I wants to hear. I need to go to work. I need to be okay. Give me a week. Let's rent a U-Haul for Saturday. I'll get all my stuff out. At the time, we were at a short, we were in a short-term lease, so most of our stuff was already packed in the basement. My dad, you know, hooked me up with the U-Haul, and for one week, I had to lie to him. It was very hard for me to do because I had to kiss him, you know, in the morning. I kiss him goodbye, you know, kiss him hello, come back, help him with the dogs, ba ba ba. And what I would do is on my way home from work, I used to stop at this, in this parking lot, the supermarket parking lot before I actually walked in the door. 
And for about 20 seconds, I wouldn't do it too much because then I'd get upset, but I would read through some of the recordings that I took to remind myself why I was doing what I was doing. It was very, very difficult. And for that week, I essentially told him, I said, hey, listen, I got it. I want to like, you know, really pack some stuff away. I want to get rid of some things. I said, go ahead, play, play Call of Duty this week with your buddies. It's fine. I spent time in the basement relabeling things, reorganizing things so that I could pack my stuff up Saturday and go. I remember there was like this one moment where I literally locked eyes with him and I had to just smile and continue doing what I was doing. And at the end of the week, it was Friday, came home. Before I came home, walked in the door, I texted two of his good friends and I said, hey, I'm sorry to reach out to you like this, but I want to let you know that I'm going to be leaving Dan. He's going to need your support. Um, I just can't move past all of the women. I wish you guys well. I walked in the door. I told him that I was leaving him. And again, he became suicidal, et cetera. But I actually called the police department before I went in and I let them know what I was doing. So they kept calling me, checking up on me. And they're like, and I told, because at that point, after I had brought all the boxes in and came back in, like, I was really upset because he was locking himself in the room. He was telling me that he was going to hurt himself, all these different things. And the officer was like, ma'am, you did what you had to do. Go ahead and leave. We'll take it from here. Never forget that officer because he really helped me out because I probably would have stayed, might have stayed that night because of it. So he basically gave me the go ahead. I walked out. I left. And I cried for like the next two hours driving to my sister's place in Boston, where I stayed with her and her fiance at the time for about a month and a half um, before I got my new apartment on my own. And I was able to get that new apartment because of that money that I saved away. I had enough money for, you know, first month, last month security deposit. Um, so in these unconscious ways, it was like I was preparing myself to leave. It what literally was not until the beginning of February. I found out in June. We moved in January, spent the fall finding him a job, planning our move back to the East Coast. And it, two weeks later was when I actually left him. So it, it wasn't this like well thought out long term plan. But it definitely surprised me how much I feel like my body, my mind was preparing me to go, even though maybe I wasn't, I felt like I wasn't there yet. Strange. You know, I don't, it's interesting. I personally don't find it strange. I actually think you understood the love you deserved. And I think you always have. I think you've always had this idea of what you want family to be like, what you want love to look like, how you deserve to be loved. But I think your environment has always been doubting that for yeah. you, right? So it was like this play on... I know I deserve this. So let me just keep it really, really quiet. And just, and it's almost like you couldn't even admit it to yourself because that happens too. And then when you actually broke down because you were being pushed to your final limit, once you had your family on board, A, you had someone to, you not more than someone, you had a whole group of people to be accountable to, but B, you had actual validation Right. And I think that that has that plays into the whole codependency. We're right? like, OK, so I can do this. OK, thank God I have permission. I am not crazy. 
right? Mm. Because I think I can imagine that a lot of your life you just spend feeling like you're crazy because other people will do things differently. And you're like, well, I do it this way. And maybe that's, you know, like, and it's hard to negotiate that in your mind because other people like it better. So you're like, all right, I'll just do it their way. And I, and now I'm, I'm, I may be projecting. Um, I'm not sure, but it's, I probably am. And I just, I, I can completely comprehend that because in my case, I will say this and I never, it's funny. Um, Josephine, you're giving me a lot of permission today. I always talked about the breakup. But I never talked about what happened post breakup, um, mm. like or what ha- how we ended. I was so dependent on him, and it, and he doesn't even realize this. I'm sure. I needed him to end the relationship. And looking back, it's mm. so interesting. For and Crystal knows because Crystal would be like, "Why are you with him?" Um, I needed him to end the relationship so that because I needed his validation one way or another. I needed him to make the decision because I would have been left feeling like I did something wrong yeah and I remember um those days like those months leading up to the divorce and I remember you talking to me about it and you had never mentioned like you were you were unsure still like consciously um and I remember never pushing you one way or the other because I was like I know that she I know Josephine I know she's gonna do what it what she needs to do and I always knew and I told you after I was like I always knew that you were gonna leave I just didn't think that you needed to be pushed or told to do it. I think I was like, she's going to come to whatever she's going to come to this decision on her own, on her own time. And she's slowly preparing herself. And I used to tell you like, either way, like whether you decide to stay, whether you decide to go, like, if you're going to do this, then do this, like, et cetera. Like I always knew. Um, and I never felt like I had to push you. Cause I, I felt like you, I, you really weren't preparing yourself subconsciously. And I think I picked up on it. So yeah, um, I definitely commend you. And I think uh, definitely give yourself a lot more credit because even though it wasn't conscious, you did a really good job of preparing yourself. Like Mm -hmm. you were very strategic in the way that you um, exited that relationship. And and something else I'll say too is, you know, that month when I found out, again, eight months after we had literally got married and I found what I found, from that day forward, I knew I could never love him the same. Like I knew that was the point where I, and I remember telling myself like, you know, I think I'm going to put a pause on trying to have kids right now. Hmm. You know, it, 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 that really changed the game for me. So when we had, when I had physically separated from him, I remember everyone being like, oh my God, like, you know, it, to them, it felt like it happened in February. Everything went down in February. But for me, that started for me back in June. So I had all this time to kind of release and to kind of let him go and eventually just be, just understand that I didn't love him anymore. How could he love me? How, how could you love someone and do what you did? Right. Genuinely. So that was interesting for me too. Cause you know, then I, you know, I had my little summer of fun and everyone was like, Oh, how did you just jump into that so quickly? And I was just like, listen, it's been a minute since I felt about him the way that I used to feel about him. Um, so that I think also played, played a big role. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm very happy that you got out of the relationship and that you have so much insight into what happened and I'm sure it's going to continue to evolve, but 
what would you say to anyone that is going through a divorce right now, now that your divorce has officially been finalized? Like any advice or tips that they should keep in mind? Hmm. Advice wise, I would say, of course, address those red flags right away. It's so easy to get that gut feeling, feel it, recognize it, but then just let it pass. Don't let it pass. Bring it up. Listen to your gut and and ask questions. Explore those areas that you're feeling some type of way about and don't wait for them to play out. I waited for them to to play out to see how it would be. Um, Also, don't keep it from your friends and your family. Even though you're going to feel that shame and that perhaps embarrassment that you don't want to tell your friends or your family when things really aren't going right or not going your way, they're your friends and your family, right? Whoever that is to you, whether that's blood, not blood, let someone in. I did not let someone in for years. Literally, Crystal was the first person that I actually called and was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I specifically chose Crystal because of the role that she played in my life. She wasn't a family member. She wasn't like a best friend since elementary school, right? I specifically was like, she is the perfect person to go to for this situation. Um, Who's not going to judge me, you know, who's not going to try and like save me or do a quick fix or whatever, you know, you might think it might be. So keep people in the loop. Don't keep it to yourself. Um, And I think overall, in terms of now having everything, now that everything is said and done, I think it's also really important to, as you both say, to do the work. Because if not, you will allow, you will find yourself spiraling in ways that are so unfair to you. And, you know, I really kind of reconciled this for myself by understanding, you know, the importance of being me in a relationship, really what it means to put yourself first. And that that doesn't mean that you're being selfish Um, because that, that is what we're taught in that. Of course, that mental health is a real thing. It's not just something that, you know, people are trying to make money off of. So I guess all in all is really keeping people posted in whatever way that looks for you. You don't have to share the intimate details, but don't go about it alone because then you're going to find yourself in a place, in a a ditch really, where it is just you. And then it's going to be that much harder to get out. That was beautiful and great advice. And I will say I'm honored to have been part of the journey and that you trusted me enough uh, with this because I know that it was definitely a challenging time for you. And just to see the growth post-divorce, I feel like I've gotten to know, like, I, I feel like I have a new friend. Like, I love it. I've loved all stages of you. I love the Josephine I met in the relationship, but I feel like I've seen your growth, your energy, your vibrancy, like just the beautiful, fun, energetic, uh, insightful person that you are. So I'm so happy that that Josephina finally gets to see the light of day and that we all get to kind of like share in that, in that space with you. So 
Um, I definitely think that you've made a ton of progress and I'm so super proud of you. Um, and so I'm so happy to kind of have you share your story with us here today. Um, and you know, this is the Never Told Us podcast. Uh, obviously, you're a loyal listener. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, looking back, uh, what is one thing that you were never told that you wish someone would have told you growing up? Whew. I think for me, it would be that I wish someone would have told me that myself as an individual matters in a relationship, that my interests matter, my needs matter, my wants matter, um, and that they should be attended to. You know, that that it's not okay for your partner to make you feel stupid, not okay to be accepted, to be talked down to, and that fighting is not just part of a relationship, right? You know, we we kind of accept what, what, what we think is normal. And I think for me, you know, there's a huge difference between compromise and self-sacrifice. And what I did was I sacrificed a lot of myself for someone who didn't do the same. Thank you so much, Josefina, for sharing your story. I know that this is going to be uh, really inspirational to a lot of people to kind of like hear your journey, hear your insight, um, whether someone is in a relationship where they're married or not, whether it's long-term or not, um, just to kind of hear a little bit of the things that are unhealthy in a relationship and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that they too can kind of find themselves um, after uh, a breakup, a divorce. Uh, So thank you again so much for sharing your story. Uh, Definitely make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Never Told Us Pod. And if you have a story similar to Josefina's or want to share any insight, how you felt about this episode, definitely send us an email at nevertoldthispod at gmail.com. And don't forget to come back next week so we can tell you what they never told us.